0: Welcome to another Freestyle Friday. This is Freestyle Friday number five. There are a few things that I wanted to talk about today before getting into the next episode of Iconic Dishes in Canada series, in addition to a bit of news that's been happening that I just wanted to get out of the way. So, today we're going to talk about what's been happening, what I've been eating, our YYC restaurant review of the week, the latest from Instagram and TikTok. AI imagery in social media, and five of my favorite food scenes in movies. It's all happening right now. My name is Jade Alcoro, and you're listening to the Aimless Cook Podcast. So what's going on? It's been a busy week. I've been uh, working in the South. Of this city a lot and I've been eating lunch a lot at uh, fresh and local market and kitchens at Avenida and I've been quite happy with the food there it's been a kind of a reunion of sorts as a lot of older vendors there are people I've known from the old Kingsland market or market on McLeod for some now since being back there I've eaten at J spot three times Rendezvous Korean twice, and there's still so many places to try. And I know you're probably screaming at your radio or podcast or in your earphones right now of where I should go. I mean, it's all good, and I'll eventually get to try them all and tell you all about it. The latest one I've had, other than Rendezvous Gamjatang, which I can never get enough of, I talked about it a couple episodes ago, it was the Dirty Fries at J-Spot. This is a plate of fries that you're going to love. It consists of Chef Joel's fresh cut fries, cooked twice, of course, proper. Uh, Mochiko chicken, which we'll get into in a second. Pickled red onions, house sauce, spicy aioli, and avocado finished with chopped scallions. And it's sized for two people to share. It's huge. Unless you, you know, you want to have them all to yourself, which is a tempting proposition, seeing as they're so damn good. Now, what's mochiko chicken? Mochiko chicken is a Hawaiian riff of chicken karage that uses mochiko instead of potato starts. Mochiko is rice flour, but from glutinous rice. Now, the mochiko is seasoned, And it's made into a marinade, a wet marinade. So kind of like the consistency of like tandoori marinade. So it coats and sticks to the meat. And it's the same, yeah, like I said, same consistency as like a yogurt marinade. Texture-wise, when it's fried, it creates this wonderfully protective, crispy, shell-like coating that preserves the moisture in the, the chicken as it's fried. Now, karaage, on the other hand, is lightly dredged in potato starch. So, in contrast, it's much lighter and it's a thinner type of crispy. And the chicken we did at Eats of Asia was based on karage that I learned to make at Zepang. So it had that sort of light kind of texture. Now, all of the technical jibber-jabber aside, his chicken is marvelous. The components in this plate are everything you would look forward to in a great dish. Proper fries, juicy, crispy chicken, savory, spicy, tart, creamy, rich. It's all there. So big props to J-Spot. J-Spot at Avenida. <sighs> I can still think about it right now. I probably post a picture of it. I should post a picture of it. I will. I will put it on the Substack. stack. Um, I went to Raindog Bar again just a few days ago. We went to Rain Dog Bar again, and it was for... Uh, our late Valentine's dinner date night. And it was good because, you know, there's just the two of us. It's uncomplicated. We can sit at the bar. We don't need a table. And we just enjoy ourselves. You know, we talk to Bill, the owner, and uh, we have a great time. The other thing about it is that you can enjoy a regular menu. I love just, you know, enjoying the regular menu, not a special Valentine menu because, you know, if you have the Valentine menu, a lot of Valentine's menu are very limiting, and we're at Rain Dog. There's lots of little plates that we can share. It's great. I love it, and it's just the way we like to enjoy a night out. So, and by the way, if you want to read my full review of Rain Dog, you can read it on the Substack, or you can listen to episode nine of this podcast. Now, I've gone to some really nice places for dinner with some seriously talented chefs. You know, and two that I remember specifically are the ones I made to Salt and Brick or the Omakase at Ryuko. But if you haven't been to Rain Dog, you're missing out on something amazing. It's amazing and clever food. Chef Rashad Ali is one talented, to put it mildly. I wanted to give credit where credit is due because Rain Dog is everything a neighborhood hangout should be and more. In fact, I'll be having Chef Rashad on the show soon, as well as Bill Bonner to talk about this amazing place. And Bill's going to talk about being a Cicerone on our upcoming episode about a beer. So it's all good. We have great guests on the show and they have good stories. So on this visit, um, we had to have the pretzels again, of course, which I wrote about before. Uh, and then we came the roasted carrots. Now, roasted carrots, these ones were came with a whipped chev, lavage vinaigrette, toasted breadcrumbs, smoked sea salt, and fresh mint. And holy cow, it tasted like, you know, like rita, like carrot rita. But, you know, made with these completely regional components and presented in this way that is very simple you know and humble but the flavors combinations are mind-blowing it was really good also we had a steakhouse burger which was also really delicious and as you know I love me a smashed patty And like I said before, I do like the thick patties too. And in this steakhouse, it's a 6.5-ounce dry-aged steak patty, 70-30, taleggio cheese, white onion, pickles, black pepper, and sesame seed bun. Now, the coarse grind of the patty, preserve the speckles of fat, giving that medium-cooked burger, and like I said, medium-cooked, maximum flavor with little distraction. The taleggio was a great choice of cheese as its inherent fruity notes complemented the savoriness of the beef and the tang of the pickles. It was really well composed, actually, if you want to talk about burgers in a manner like that. Also, the sweet onion lent this crispness, which was very noticeable. gave the whole composition this layer of texture and it was kind of refreshing. Each bite was really fantastic. So I'll say it again. The food at Raindog Bar, unbelievably clever and tasty as hell. Please go there tonight. What's been new on Instagram and TikTok? One of them is a place in Chinatown, a brand new place in Chinatown called Che Bong. And it's a Vietnamese dessert house. It's a new spot in Chinatown's Five Harvest Plaza. If you know the dog's barking. And if you like Vietnamese desserts, then this might be right up your alley. And I haven't been yet, but I'm looking at the website right now. And the selection of the signature uh, desserts look really good. I'm just looking through here. You can see there's a brown sugar tofu pudding with pearl. There's a durian che, which has durian, jackfruit, longan, mixed jelly, coconut milk creamy coconut jelly with coconut jelly sago, white pearl shredded coconut and coconut milk it is a completely white dessert I kind of like the aesthetics of all of these presentations as well traffic light che which looks like it'd be my thing, which has red bean, mung bean water chestnut, pandan jelly and coconut milk and it looks like the water chestnuts are dyed red. And I've had a, a dessert similar to this. I think it's a Thai dessert. And they look like little gems. Um, there's also a flantastic che, which is, of course, your flan with grass jelly, coffee jelly, white pearls, and coffee coconut milk, which looks really good as well. And then, of course, there is a Viet panna cotta, which is mixed panna cotta, longan, chia seeds, sliced almonds, and pandan sugar water. They all look so good. And the prices are in the range from $7 to $9. And, of course, there's all these toppings that you can get extra for like an extra dollar. And they also sell bun mi as well and a few specialty coffees and bubble tea. So, Chebong, check it out. It looks good. I like the way the the dishes actually are presented. They're packaged and presented in a way that would appeal to a broader audience. And of course, the names that they give these are also something that are very approachable as well. So, this is the kind of things that come up when you are, you know, presenting a culture's dishes to a new audience or to a broader audience because a lot of people know what Viet, de- Viet desserts are all about. Yet there's probably some people who don't. And I think that in these cases, things like a new presentation, new plating, uh, new names, English names, you know, in particular, give these dishes new dimensions and new ways to interpret that a broader audience can appreciate or understand and you know be make them more likely to try them and it is important when you're a, a business that is trying to you know share a certain cultures foods in a new place so what do you think about that i know that in you know when we were doing dishes at eats of asia there was we always went through When we do a new dish, what would we call this in English that would be, you know, sellable? How do you say things like jjajangmyeon or something to make it interesting to a point that someone will ask about it that you can sell it? Good luck to them, and I hope to uh, actually go there soon and tell you about it. The other one is Brooklyn Dumpling Shop been seen a lot about brooklyn dumpling shop this is a chain from new york city who does dumplings one of the big things gimmick kind of things that they that they uh are known for is the automat style of service so basically there's no one at the front you go in and this is one place i have been to i went last night and uh yeah that's all i gotta say about it is it gimmicky uh it is neat is it a reason to go back nah not necessarily are the new flavors any good i don't know (laughs) the broth my daughter was telling me was she was trying to tell me really quietly and she said she's trying to say dad she's like this soup is really bland and sure enough, she's right. I don't know. We'll see. New restaurants are very hard to to gauge because they're new. You got a new team, you got new things going on. It's not always going to be at their you know, their best. So I don't like to say anything in particular about places that just opened. And I know this is a chain and they should specialize in having things that are consistently the same, you know. All the way across but it's you know it's a new location too so who knows maybe it will get better but we'll see when people talk about Vietnamese food there is one dish that instantly comes to mind and that is pho like many Asian noodle shops that I've come to love and appreciate pho represents a harmonious balance of contrasting textures flavors and degrees of complexity all living together in this delicate microcosm that represents a universe in a bowl. Now I've written in the past about my love for pho and the entire experience I tried to sum up in my best words that brought scope to this perfect morning at my favorite shop in the city. And yes, I'm a purist when it comes to eating pho but when the flavors are clean and unhindered by unnecessary sauces and distractions it's a great way to start the day. But... As the day progresses and fades into night, a new ambiance takes over. The bright optimism and freshness of that perfect morning is now a memory. All of the things I've done during the day, all the checked-off items from my mind's to-do list, and every dish I cooked and sent out are now tallied in the form of back pain and tired feet. It's getting late and I'm in the mood for a bowl of bowl call. I pull myself up to the counter at a nearby shop in the neighborhood, Night Owl Vietnamese Cuisine. Night Owl, like its namesake, is open from 5pm to 2am, closing at 3am on the weekend. This spot, though it doesn't sport the patina of years of service, reminds me of an episode of Netflix's Midnight Diner. Minimal seating in a shop that at most will seat maybe 20... So if you don't find yourself a place to park yourself, you may find yourself eating your late night meal at Eastern Fortune next door, a great Chinese spot, open until 1.30am. Now Bokal, or what the night owl menu calls brisket noodles, you can think of as a Vietnamese beef stew. She is Pho's sultry sister. She beckons you with her seductive glances and promises you comfort in her arms. One sip of her satin-like broth bejeweled with amber micro-droplets of fat tell you instantly that this is a different sister. Her hearty chunks of meltingly tender beef brisket, roll-cut carrots, and silky rice noodles are the polar opposite of the almost chaste reflection of her morning counterpart. The brisket chunks are unabashed in their fatty glory, sporting a nice fat-to-lean ratio which makes the pieces tender and flavorful. The large pieces of carrots suggest a homestyle sensibility with one objective in mind, to bring you comfort. All of these wonderfully tasty and generously portioned components sit atop a mound of fresh rice noodles and swim in a rich beefy broth lightly enhanced by roasted spices and aromatics, complemented by the sweetness of tomato. This Is a simply wonderful and delicious dish which brings you in and holds you tight until you realize that you're done as you stare at the bottom of the cavernous bowl. Now, side note like most Vietnamese restaurants, Night Owl serves ban cun, the salad rolls wrapped in the rice paper. Now, this is a common side dish or starter when it comes out. It's usually served with a small ramekin with hoisin sauce topped with crushed peanuts. Now, night owl does a little something special and it's that they serve the hoisin slightly warmed and it's not like a huge thing but it's enough of an attentive touch to make you remember your experience so you know good work big props to night owl vietnamese cuisine i don't know if you know or if you care But Calgary Farmers Market was in the hot seat again. And once again, it was about their marketing. So you remember the time they announced uh, CFM West when they posted a picture on social media of two pigs in a field doing it. And people got offended. Of course, people got offended. They had to, you know, voice their opinions on the internet via the comments. And that went on. And, you know, I guess it was good in the fact that there is no such thing as bad marketing because I'm, you know, I'm talking about it right now, but this time it was about their brand refresh. The recent one, uh, the market hired a local company called PTI graphics who employed the use of AI to conjure up anthropomorphized animals doing market stuff human things like eating donuts and drinking coffee and it got a huge uproar from people who expressed displeasure with the market's use of ai instead of using local artists and if you really want to listen to the interview now this was an interview with uh the the people from pti graphics and the president of CFM. You can hear the interview on CBC Radio's "The Home Stretch" with Chris Della Torre, and you just have to Google it. At this point, I don't know, man, like it seems that this decision inadvertently trespass into the gated community of their sensitivities, of someone's sensitivities, and I clearly don't have the household annual income to care. Because I mean, if you're offended by that. I don't know. <laughs> One person was so offended that they expressed that they were going to boycott Calgary Farmers Market. Which I kind of question the logic in. Because CFM doesn't really sell anything but, but space. The only ones who are going to suffer from anyone boycotting the market would be the vendors. So these are all small local businesses. A lot of people I've known for a long time as well because I've been in the markets, you know, and I can tell you that they're all just trying to pay rent and run businesses, support families, and a lot are, of course, still recovering from 2020. Because I can tell you right now, since 2020, even though people seem to be back to normal and things, people are shopping and everything, it hasn't been easy. It's probably the most single most difficult time for any small businesses, and I'll tell you right now, we're not in the clear. And just because people can be out shopping doesn't mean we're back to normal. The CEBA loans that were given to everyone when this panic started came due in January. So you can be certain that there are going to be more closures as much as I hate to say it, as costs of doing businesses coupled with inflation, labor, start to increase the burden of the people who are just trying to survive, and then paying back these loans, as you can imagine what that would do. And yeah, there are a lot of businesses that are opening at this time now. Like any small businesses, like I really feel for a lot of these owners because, you know, running a small business, one of the most difficult things or most challenging things you can do. Speaking of AI, there is a food content creator I recently started seeing posts from on Facebook who uses... AI, it's called Kimmy's Food Share. This person has over 10,000 followers, I believe, and consistently posts a mixture of her own photos of dishes and AI photos, you know, which people comment on regularly. Some people, a lot of people call her out for using AI. And I don't know why, you know, what's the point, why she does that, whether it's just like, a matter of just showing nice pictures or is there a point to all of this that's going out there i have no idea because i mean she'll say something like oh beautiful plate of sushi and it's an ai and people will call it out some people won't some people don't care um for me i don't know if i was posting food content i don't know if i would No, I wouldn't (laughs) because I, for one, I like cooking and for two, I like showing places that do good food as well. And I want to show real food, you know, and AI as nice as it is and all and how easy it is to spit out images is tacky. They all have the same sort of lighting. They all have the same compositions. They all have ultra perfect, almost platings almost unreal. And of course you can, the glitches are there too, right? Still that you can see like vegetables that look like they came from another planet or weird little details that people, you know, miss like three chopsticks instead of two on the rest, things like that. I mean like, yeah, if you're, if you like that stuff, it's good. Like I've tried to do promo shots for posts where I've tried, you know, doing AI but I don't know, I wasn't happy with it. They're there, you can still see them, but I don't know. I don't, I don't like them. I like designing graphics the old-fashioned way. So moving on, I wanted to talk about five of my favorite food movie memories. Now, if you are like me, you like to watch movies which feature good food. Or feature, you know, stories about people who work in the industry, like The Bear. The Bear is really good, by the way, if you haven't seen The Bear. But of course, let me just run off like two shows that I really like. The Bear of Late, and uh, there was an old BBC comedy called Whites that I really enjoyed too. It lasted only just a few episodes, but it was so funny. And uh, if you ever get a chance to see it, you can probably search it on YouTube and watch it there as well. But anyways, I'm moving on to my five of my favorite food movie memories, and coincidentally, a lot of them are Asian. The first one, I don't, these aren't in any particular order, but okay, so let's go through them. Uh, Ponyo, the ramen scene, and in this scene, Ponyo, who had just become a human, and is living at the, the boy's house, Sosuke. And so they're at his house and his mother is making instant ramen. And they tear the noodles out of the packet and put it into their bowls. And then mom says, you know, careful, this is really hot. And pours in the boiling water from a kettle. And after covering the bowls, Sosuke tells Ponyo that she has to wait three minutes for the noodles. In which she's like completely, you know, in wonder at, you know, what's going on. Now during that time, mom comes back and tells the kids to close their eyes while she adds a surprise to their bowls. So, after the three minutes, when she tells them to open their eyes, she removes the tops of the steaming bowls revealing piping hot ramen noodles topped with Ponyo's favorite human food ever, sliced ham and half an egg. And my daughter always loves that part as well. And she still asks for me to make her ramen like that. She's 14. She make her own ramen. But of course, you know, it's one of those things, right? Next up is 1985's Tampopo, directed by Juzo Itami. This one, though it is centered around food of all sorts and types, Japanese, the scene that probably impacted me most and sparked my interest in cooking in the first place is the omu rice. So, as you know, if you've seen Tampopo, it is about a truck driver who meets a widow, wife of a ramen chef. And she has a ramen shop called Lai, Lai and her name's Tampopo. And Goro, the truck driver, promises he's going to teach you know, Tampopo how to make good ramen because he has her ramen one night in the beginning of the movie and it's terrible. So during this adventure, Goro is on a quest to find experts in helping Tampopo make the best ramen. And in one of the places he visits is a homeless camp to seek the wisdom of an elder. And during their visit, the group offers some food they manage to find behind various restaurants. But Tampopo's son, Tabo, doesn't want to eat. So they ask him what he wants to eat and he says omuraisu. So what happens next is the reason I started to learn how to cook Japanese food. Now Tabo led by one of the men from the the camp sneak into a restaurant kitchen through the back door and what he does is he takes a carbon steel pan and he starts to quickly fry up some rice. He then seasons it with ketchup of all things and then sets it aside on a plate. And then he takes some beaten eggs, adds them to the pan, stirring them with chopsticks as he transformed the eggs into the most glorious omelet in 20 seconds. I've watched this again today and I timed it. You see it all happen and it's 20 seconds. And I remember watching this scene countless number of times to learn how he made it so fast and so incredibly perfect. He tops the omurice with another dab of ketchup, and that's that. It's the epitome of, you know, that simple elegance of Japanese cooking summed up in 20 seconds. Now, I had a Japanese customer who used to visit me every Sunday at Eats of Asia for this dish, and I gladly made it just for him. And it's such a joy to make, especially when you've done it so many times, and it's like one of those things that becomes like part of your muscle memory and second nature. I don't know, I still love doing it. It's great. The next movie is, if you love Hong Kong movies, this is a 2009 movie called Kung Fu Chefs, and it's directed by Wing Kin Yip. And the, this is a chef movie that starred uh, Samuel Hung and Vanessa Wu back in, like I said, 2009. And the portrayals of food and cooking in this movie are both entertaining and serious you know, due to, you know, the Kung Fu choreograph fights and, and how it ties in with cooking and the skills involved with cooking. And so Sammo Hong plays a chef, Chef Wong, master chef, and he takes on this cocky apprentice, Chef Ken. And one of the scenes, this isn't the, the, the scene that's the memorable one, but I'm going to tell you about one of the scenes. And it's a a showdown where the two showcase their fish cutting skills. So the young chef, Ken, shows off by making, you know, sashimi with fugu, which is, of course, a very specialized skill. Chef Wong makes his own sashimi using a more common fish, but he uses a cold blade technique, and he reveals it at the end after they taste his fish, and that it's better that he has knives that are like, frozen in a giant block of ice. And as they see that, you know, he wants to, to see the knives and then they get into a, a sort of a fight. And then as uh, Master Chef is holding the, the young boy at bay, Chef Ken looks at the fish tank and sees that the fish that Chef Wong made is still swimming in the tank you know, with the the meat cut off. (laughs) It's funny. So though that scene is memorable, it is another egg scene that lives in my head. Similar to the Omurai scene in Tampopo, Chef Wong makes an omelette in a wok, Cantonese style, called uh, Wampo Thousand Layer Egg. And it may sound mystical like the swimming fish, but it's a really it's a very real dish. And it's amazing to me because because it is real. And to see him make it in the walk and do it in such a short amount of time and take so much skill to pull off is amazing to me. So that was that. The next movie is another Hong Kong movie. 1996, Stephen Chow, God of Cookery. If you know this one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, this, star, this starred and it was directed by Stephen Chow, and it is a comedy action about an arrogant celebrity chef with the title God of Cookery, who, whose arrogance gets the best of him. And of course, he's betrayed by his apprentice who humiliates him publicly, and, but he redeems himself with the help of a street vendor named Turkey. And with her help he's humbled and he returns to challenge the new god of cookery in a final cooking showdown and it's in this battle where the two discover that they are making the same dish it's called buddha jumping the wall now if you haven't had buddha jumping the wall i don't think i've had it either it's just a a riff of a shark fin soup and it's a very opulent dish featuring the most expensive gre- ingredients like abalone and scallop, deer tendon, like I said, shark fin. Of course, they don't have that anymore. You can see how old this movie is. During the battle, which of course includes kung fu, Stephen Chow's soup pot is broken with only a few minutes left in the battle. So what he makes as a result is the fastest Cha fan ever made using his kung fu to radiate heat from his hands, to, you know, start a fire and cook his pork and his rice. And after presenting this common street dish to the judge, who's played by Nancy Sit, she's hilarious, she is skeptical that the dish will beat this luxurious Buddha jumping the wall that she just tried. And after the first bite of his char siu, she is transported into a state of euphoria that goes into... This hilarious sequence of her, you know, rolling on top of a giant piece of char siu in a bowl. And she can't control her emotions. Classic, classic. The last one, you will know, is a Taiwanese movie from 1994 by Ang Lee. And it is called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. And if you've seen this, you know exactly the part I'm talking about. And that is the first five minutes of the movie. So in this movie, uh, Master Chef Chu, played by Si Hung Leung, is living at home with three daughters, unmarried, and the movie of their lives revolves around a weekly Sunday dinner that is prepared by Chef Chu, semi-retired, with great skill and preparation. So what Ang Lee presents is probably the most beautiful and remarkable culinary montage in movie history. As Chef Chu masterfully goes through the day long task of preparing this elaborate feast, and, like I said, he does this every Sunday, so during this scene, he prepares a live carp, he makes twice cooked pork belly, he steams it in a bowl, you know makes the sauce, he preps a live chicken that he plucks out of his backyard, he debones it, stuffs it for a herbal soup. And then he hand minces pork to make dumplings and he makes a Peking duck. And you can probably, actually, I know you can just search it up on YouTube and watch the first five minutes. It is awesome. Now I have one more bonus one and honorable mention because of the power it has. And I'm talking about a 1990 movie called Goodfellas. I wanted to mention this one because of how, like I said, powerful this scene was. Now during Ray Liotta's time in prison, uh, what's his name? Henry. He talks about a certain way that Paul Sorvino's character, Polly, what a stretch, slices garlic. He has a system for slicing garlic and that, you know, that's up. That's it. The scene is slicing garlic and, so he describes like you know when wise guys go to jail, it's not the same as with everyone else goes, and they're having lobster. Someone's doing a tomato sauce. Someone's you know, and Polly's in charge of the prep, and Polly's slicing garlic, and all you see is this close up of Polly slicing a single clove of garlic with a razor blade to th- paper thin slices, to which Henry Rayliota narrates. He says, liquefies in the pan with a little olive oil. The picture in your mind is already just like churning of how good that must be. (laughs) So that is it for this week's Freestyle Friday. I hope you enjoyed it. And of course, if you like this show, please rate, review and share with your friends. I'm going to have, of course, the next part of our iconic Canadian dishes next week. So if you have any questions or comments for me, please DM me or email me at j at aimlesscookpodcast.com All of the links for today's show are in the show notes. And if you'd like to support the show, you can donate or buy some merch from the shop. I'll leave all of those links, of course, as well in the show notes. So be kind to one another, stay hungry, and I will see you on the next one. Peace.